How to Reclaim Your Resilience After a Loss with the Bad Widow, Allison Pena, here on episode number 136 of Beyond Adversity with Dr. Brad Miller. Bad Widow was about, I I came out of it and everyone had all these ideas about who I was going to be as a widow. So you're going to grieve for this long, and you're going to act this way, and none of it was true for me. Hi, this is Wendy Friesen from wendy.com, and I can help you to really use your brain through hypnosis. Dr. Brad Miller is here with the Beyond Adversity podcast, helping you navigate tough times and emerge victorious. Hello, good people, and welcome to Beyond Adversity with Dr. Brad Miller, the podcast where we help you to navigate adverse conditions in your life and to come out to a better place, a place we like to call a place of peace, prosperity, and purpose, the promised life that's available to you if you choose to navigate through difficult times. At our website, Dr. Brad Miller, we have lots of back episodes of the podcast and other resources for you to go to and a free gift that can be helpful to you in your life to navigate things like depression or debt or maybe a terrible disease or perhaps um, divorce or maybe even death. Today is the case when our guest, Allison Pena, had to navigate several of those things when her beloved husband of 25 years uh, became sick with cancer. And he eventually lost his battle with cancer. And the story of our conversation today with Allison has to do with how she and her husband chose to navigate that process and to live life to the fullest and to celebrate and to have heartache and a soaring of the heart to... uh, to be involved with the arts community, to be involved with playing tennis, to be involved with the things that they loved, and to come out to a better place. You're going to have lots of great great insights here about how to handle grief and loss and to be resilient. That's our topic today here on Beyond Adversity with the Bad Widow. She she blogs at badwidow.com. Her name is Allison Pena. Let's get into that great conversation right now. One of the biggest things that can impact almost everyone at one time or another is the death or loss of a loved one. And this is something that we have to come to terms with in many ways. And our guest today had to deal with a tragic loss in her life of her husband. Her name is Allison Penna. She goes by the terminology bad widow, and she's going to unpack that for us a little bit. But she is all about being a consultant for reclaiming resi- and having resilience in your life after a loss. And she has learned in her life to live fearlessly, even in the face of death, who her husband died of pancreatic cancer in 2016, and she's learned how to re-engage and re-emerge and reinvent herself in every aspect of her life, and she's going to help us here to do just the same. Allison, welcome to the podcast here today. Thank you so much, Brad. It's awesome to have you with us here today as we, we 
shared in an introduction about how you had a loss in your life. And one of the things that we uh, all have to, to deal with is these pivotal moments when things happen. So if you don't mind, Allison, just tell us a little bit about your story, about how you were more or less cruising along in life, at least to some degree with, with in your marriage and so on. And then this happened. Tell us the story. Yeah. So I, um, I was married. I missed my 20th wedding anniversary by three weeks. My husband and I were together for 25 years. And um, in 2015, in October, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, stage four pancreatic cancer. And the lifespan expectancy, if you have stage four pancreatic cancer, is six weeks to four months. Uh, And we got 11 months because largely, I believe, because we decided to do those last 11 months very differently than the doctors told us to. They said, slow down, step back, stop doing things. And what we did instead was we decided to live fearlessly. We decided to recommit to our love. After 25 years, a lot of it's about logistics. Who's taking out the trash? Who's doing the dishes? You know, if you're married, relationships are like that. You sort of lose that focus on the love that holds you together very often. And so we recommitted to love. We started taking out those things that were just obligations as much as we could and focusing on the people and the activities that we really cared about. And it changed everything. Um, So my husband died at home in my arms, just the two of us. What drama in it's and what of, we, of itself right there, my goodness, yes. Yeah, it's it's what we wanted. I didn't want him to be in hospital hospice. I didn't want a million people around. It was just us. And people kept telling me I had to put him into hospital hospice and that I couldn't handle it. And I said, you have no idea what I can handle. And adversity is like that, right? Until you come up against it. You have no idea what you can handle. You know, some people handle it very well, and some people become stymied by it or just, you know, really stuck. And what we hope to do here yep. is help people get some strategies and some processes to help people. And that's what you're doing now. And that, that's an awesome thing. And tell me about, just tell us a little bit about your husband. Tell us about what type of man. First of all, tell us his name and then tell us what about him so we get a a little idea you said you recommitted to your love so i want to know who you recommitted to so my husband was a painter and i actually have made um a lot of his paintings into zoom backgrounds so this is one of his paintings um and so i can flip to nature scenes flip to flowers whatever um, and I saw a number of his works on your website too, where you promote, uh, yeah, I guess you have some for sale or you have some promotions of his artwork as well. I do. I do. Um, and so he was an artist. He was horrible at vacationing because he always wanted to paint. He had a ridiculous sense of humor, like a 14 year old. He told the worst jokes. Um, 
and I tend to take life seriously. So we balanced each other out that way. Uh, I loved him, you know, awesome. 25 years, rock and roll, rock and roller coaster of a marriage as any relationship is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it ended, you know, and, and not by our choice. Yes. Well, pancreatic cancer is one of, uh, one of the nasty ones. I just, for what is, I, I've been, uh, I'm a pastor for church. And so I've been privileged. I put it that way to been around folks on a number of occasions, you know, who at the end of life situations, but I do know that that's a particularly tough one uh, to deal with. And yet I think it's really awesome that you made some choices uh, to be together and, Let's. I think when people deal with uh, end of life issues or any adversity, there's always choices to make, and all, many times they're hard, hard choices. Uh, give us a little yes. idea about what was behind some of the choices that you made and some of the actions that you take that were pivotal for you and helping this to be a, a in many ways a um, tragic circumstance, but in many ways a life-giving type of thing to you and and uh which kind of makes you the bad widow and makes you the bad widow in a way and since it wasn't the traditional you have to unpack this for me a little bit it was not the traditional you know dark and gloomy type of thing yeah um bad widow was about i i came out of it and everyone had all these ideas about who i was going to be as a widow so you're going to grieve for this long And you're going to act this way. And none of it was true for me. And people also had a lot of ideas about how I should be supported with what they thought they would want in my circumstance, which was almost always wrong. So bad widow was, okay, let's blow all of this up because it doesn't work. (laughs) And let's actually discover what does work how does it work to on four breaths lose the love of your life of 25 years and recreate a life for yourself because i was with one person for a long time and then suddenly i was a widow and i had no idea what that was mm-hmm. except a lot of people were telling me what they thought it was yeah so what were some of the things you discovered, uh, Allison? What were some of the actions that you took? And I'm sure some of it was uh, you know, kind of a trial and error type of thing. But you, you tell me, what were some of the things that worked for you? What are some of the things that didn't work for you in dealing with the loss of your husband? Yeah, so what worked was that um, in the face of that loss, I, I contracted. I spent a lot of time crying. I spent a lot of time. And so what I developed was small steps that we're moving back into life, you know, moving back into, to, to reach out to one friend, go for a walk. So at the beginning, it's very small things because in the face of that loss, there are some real practical things that happen. Your energy is really variable. I had the attention span of a fruit fly. Um, my, I had memory gaps. I literally had enormous holes in my memory where someone could tell me something and the next moment I could not remember. Hmm. So I was a uh, consultant 
Are you, who let, couldn't just, reach just, out just, to people? Just to hit the pause for a second, were you able to function? I mean, you know, some people, when they have a death, the family really go into a deep, dark depression where they have a hard time even functioning. Did you ever sense any of this type of thing where you were really not functioning well or you had to had be made more aware of? of uh, oh, no, I was in a deep, dark depression. Okay. I mean, there were there were mornings, most mornings I would lie in bed and I would not put my foot on the floor until I had a reason to stay alive that day. Hmm. So I was, yes, I was solidly in a deep, dark depression. And and there were days when I had a lot of energy, and then there were days when I had no energy. And I had to just, one of the hardest things when you lose someone is to try and be who you were before and how you were before, because it's impossible. You're not even that person anymore. And so I had to, if I had energy, I'd go really fast and get a lot of stuff done. If I had no energy, I would do gentler things. This is not a moment to press on through. Mm -hmm. This is a moment to honor where you are in that moment. Um, I became a big fan of nets. So because I couldn't trust my memory, a, a lot of it was finding out where my breakdowns were, finding out where I had challenges that I'd never had before. So not being able to remember. So I wrote down literally on a piece of paper all the activities that I did in my life, mm. you know, wow. from scrub the kitchen to um, work on the website, everything. I put it down on a piece of paper because I couldn't always remember all those things. And then when I would check in with myself in the morning and see how much energy I had, I could just look at the board and say, I have energy for that. I don't have energy for this. Okay. So let's, that's an interesting process that you just had to literally get things out of your head. And, you know, when we're in depression, we can get stuck in that swirling you know, vortex of our own brain sometimes, or especially when you're in a depressed state or in a, uh, a shocking, a shocked state. And you just got things yep. out on out on paper and took notes and did things like, like that. So that sounded like that was a helpful uh, action that you took that may seem minor, but it must have been a major thing for you. Yeah, I mean, throughout moving out again and pushing out to make a bigger world for myself again, I I would stumble over something that wasn't working. You know, I wanted to be reaching out to people more. I wanted to start working again. I had no energy. I, I was a, a consultant who couldn't reach out to people. And I was a medical editor and proofreader who couldn't remember something from one minute to the next, Which much seems less like from those page would be... one to page 300. Seems like those would be kind of important skills for that uh, line of work to me, from my perspective. I could not do anything I was qualified for, but I knew to get back into work, I had to take some step to, to reconnect with people in a work environment, to do something. So I had a friend who was a widow, and she had a Halloween pop-up store. And I knew that I could hang hangers. Okay. I could do that much. And I could be around people to a degree. And that's what I did. And I started pushing my world out proactively to make it bigger. So it's interesting that you took some action, some areas that were just kind of 
you're really a totally outside of what your skill set was or where you were at. I mean, just a simple thing of working, hanging up clothing or costumes or whatever it was, you know, as opposed to the mental work that you would do in editing and so on. And, but just to be active, huh? So I couldn't do what I was qualified for, but to start feeling competent and to get confidence again, I had to do something. Mm -hmm. I had to take some step towards a life that I wanted. Yeah. I think that's a key thing for anyone who wants to get through some adverse condition. You got to do something. You got to take some action. And sometimes it's prodded by other people. And sometimes you just kind of, you know, just crank up your own willpower and whatever, but you cannot stay under the covers forever or you will blow away and disappear. I mean, it does happen, Allison. And I know you're aware about this where, you know, there are people who, when their spouse uh, dies, they don't last very long. You know, they just can't handle it. You know, I literally had a situation a few years ago where uh, a married couple had been married. I forget how long it was, 50 plus something years. But they literally yep. died within 18 hours of one another. The woman died yep. and the gentleman died eight, less than 18 hours later. He just couldn't handle it. And he literally said when she died, I won't last long. And he didn't. So, yeah. But here's what I I just want you to, and you're going to be helpful here now, very helpful to some of our folks, because, you know, we live in a world right now, Allison, where we do have disease and death as a part of our world, pretty much yep. hanging like a pall over us. We're in the middle of this stupid COVID crisis, which is so frustrating and upsetting, but it is pervasive about uh, people being sick and dying. And, and the tendency would be to just kind of withdrawal and let it happen and what i'm hearing you say is uh, you know some of that you got to process some of that but there comes a time when you got it got to get going or, or well it we- comes it comes down to needing a bigger life mm-hmm. so the only thing that could get me through the pain grief anger shame was wanting more and mm-hmm. wanting enough more that i was willing to go through it because it's not yeah. easy so you had to go to a deeper place, didn't you? You had to go to I a, did. a deeper place rather than the than the uh, circumstance that you found yourself in of dealing with the horrible situation of your husband being diagnosed with cancer. And then you had, uh, you know, just uh, yep. those months together. And it sounded like you did some good things together, you know, where you made your end of life part profitable and a good thing with you and he together. Yep. Um, but now you had to deal with it. So, and that, that's, that's awesome. So you had these, what I'm, you had the external actions that you took to get you moving, but let's talk for a yep. minute, Allison, about the inner life, about how this inner turmoil that you have, be it depression, be it, uh, uh, anxiety or whatever it is, you know, that we have to deal with, you know, grief is huge. Grief can be a debilitating, but, uh, let's talk about how you had to do some work in her life, be it mindset, be it meditation, be it spiritual life, be it religion, be it anything. Was there any way that you found yourself either renewing or finding a new, any kind of a spiritual development piece that helped you to uh, deal with this whole situation. And so just speak to that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess the, the, um, 
this is so the the first piece I was talking about I call reengage. The second is reinvent because you can't go back. You're not the person you were before the loss. And so people say, "Well, I want what I had." It's not even it's not possible. It's not possible to have that person back and it's not what possible. What you had to was your husband and he's no longer there. You just it's different. Yeah. It's different. Mm -hmm. And so you're different. In 25 years, you wind around each other like vines. And so resilience to get through something like this and to get through these times that we're living in right now require being able to tap into inner resilience because the outer world is going crazy, right? I mean, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Everything's falling apart, right? And and so if you're counting on that to ground you, you are sunk. And so the thing that I discovered was I began a lot of different practices. And one of the things I really recommend is increasing self-care. Because one of the hardest experiences to access after a loss like this is joy. Hmm. Because joy tastes like betrayal. And it tastes like grief. Hmm. It's really interesting that you put it that way. Because some people would say they want to try to reclaim the joy quickly. And that's where a lot of people, you know, when they, uh, even just take us out of the context of death here. When you have, lose a job, whatever, people will uh, turn sometimes to those artificial means, drinking or something else to try to get the buzz back, you know, when they lose that, because they want to get that joy right back or whatever the buzz that that they had. And what you're sharing here with us is that you had to go to a little different approach to not go for the joy so much, but to go for what? Help me understand what you were going for. Yeah. So it's to go for where I felt most myself because I needed to find a way to center in myself. So that, that winds up being prayer or walking in nature or journaling or, um, you know, looking at great art or doing something creative or dancing or singing. Um, so all of these are things that are, are embodied practices and sort of realizing that you're not alone is, is really critical. Um, and so that was another list that I had. <laughs> sure. Well, everything you mentioned, All the things. It, you know, kind of is from the heart stuff, you know, singing, dancing, writing, journaling, uh, you know, some people would call those spiritual practices, you know, the ways that it's, not, it's, it's not an academic pursuit so much or a, pragmatic uh you know work related type of thing it is things of the heart and you got to heal your heart you know i i guess what i would say from my just reflecting with you the joy part comes later later on you have to get to the healing is a part of what what you're looking for some healing and, and wholeness here yeah and the joy is a little bit different the joy comes in in um I don't know if you've ever been on a beach and you've seen a clam squirt up and then you know where to dig to get the clam. Mm-hmm. The joy comes like that as opposed to a great wash of joy. And so it's it's really one of the keys to getting present and getting centered. And this is required for 
any kind of um, spiritual practice. Like, how do you come home to yourself? How do you come home to who you are? And that's kind of reinvent, try things, figure out what delights you again. You know, I love being in a line where there are children and blowing bubbles because <laughs> you can watch the kids react and it just lifts your spirits up in a minute. But it, it is like that. Yeah. What are the small things? What are the things that get you present to right now? Um, one of the things that I did actually while my husband was dying and since was I had always wanted to sing in cabaret shows. So including the Tuesday before he died, I sang in this show. And the last song I sang was called The Secret of Happiness. And the secret of happiness is that happiness lives in the present. And when you've lost someone, the past and the future hold pain. Hmm. Was that the lyrics of the song you were singing? I'm just curious about that. Or is that you what's something you just discern from that? Um, no, it was it was the the secret of happiness is living in the now is a line from the song. Okay. That's what I, I thought that was. I wasn't quite familiar with yep. the exact show you're talking about there, but it just sounded familiar. And it's a good line anyhow. Uh so that's good. Well, it, well, I tell you what you kind of went there with was something I wanted to chat with you about too. You, so you participated in a cabaret show, which meant that you were with other people, right? Yes. With other people. And part of what I want to get at with you here is in order to navigate something like the death of a loved one, or even when someone is dying or when you're going through some other tragic circumstance, uh, relationships can be both uh, a really great asset, but they can also be a challenge to you. And I'd like you to speak yep. to that a little bit about the nature of relationships and how that can fuel healing and wholeness, but also be a part of the thing that you got to deal with. Talk to me about relationships that you encountered in this process. Yeah, um, I have really strong and robust networks of relationships, but what I say is people um, in the face of this, because it's a lot. I mean, my life was a wasteland of grief in the first year. Second year, I could go zero to rage in 10 seconds for no reason. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, crazy. I was a hot mess. And um, that's a lot for someone to be around. And there are people who can't handle it. There are people who are uncomfortable with their own mortality. So being around someone who has had someone die is very uncomfortable for them. Yes, yes. And um, so they're, they say things that are meant to be kind, but are honestly kind of stupid. Which like, can, can how be, do you feel? Yeah, they can be know? one of those things that you said, said that you were, when you had go through this time of, of adversity, death of a family, your husband, Yep. You know, you can be, you know, raw. Your emotions can be raw. So what I'm saying is something stupid can set you off, right? Yeah, exactly. So what I, I wound up doing, and this is part of where Bad Widow came about, what I realized was that they meant well yes. and that they were trying to be kind and they were doing their best. And 
they had no idea that what they were doing. So I needed to educate them about how to deal with me. If I wanted to be treated in a certain way, I needed to be clear myself. And so one of the things that I did, and this is really relevant, you know, coming up on the holidays, is that I set people up. I said, I'm going to come and I don't know how I'm going to be. So I might cry. If I cry, know that I'm okay. And I will take care of myself in the way that I need to take care of myself. But you don't have to do anything. And yeah. people would just <sighs> yeah. relax. Because when you're that, that raw emotions, I mean, tears or weird laughter or any number of people react on kinds of different ways. But it can come out of triggered out of almost nowhere or seemingly nowhere. It could be a song. It could be a look. It could be a smell. It could be just some triggered memory. It could be the bubbles you mentioned from kids. Uh, yep. Anything can happen. And because it's right there on the surface. So what did some well, What people... I found was if, if people knew what to expect and knew that I didn't expect them to do anything, they could relax. So you help people relax that way. But tell me about someone who came into your life who particularly uh, was kind of a, a guide for you or someone who may have been really there for you, who seemed to do the things the right way, you know, who seemed to do things to really be helpful and not awkward and things like that yeah so i um i decided that i got to have two epic love affairs not just one and so in 2018 i decided to start dating again now i couldn't stand to be touched by anyone so dating with this as a (laughs) as an issue is kind of a problem. I would think so. Uh, Yeah, but keep going. I'm really interested to see where we're going with this. (laughs) But keep keep going, please. Yep. So I decided to go on the the dating app called Bumble. And Bumble didn't exist. Dating apps didn't exist. It was 1992 the last time I had dated. So fast forward to 2018, I was way out of practice. But I decided that I would write a profile that described the things I like to do and start doing activities with men who like the same stuff. And just low bar. Um, And there was one man, Wayne, who is my boyfriend, um, who just kept being okay with me however I was. So if I was crying, he was okay. Now, I'm very responsible for what's mine. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't laying it off on him. I wasn't saying these tears are your fault. Okay. This anger is your fault. Yeah. You know, which which sometimes when we're but, uncomfortable with our own feelings, that happens, uh, right? Which may or may not be the best way to nurture a new relationship. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay. But he he just kept showing up and kept being there. And... There was one, I would say the the day I really fell in love with him, I had been crying all day, like eight hours, and I had a date with him that night, and I wanted to go on the date, but it was an anniversary of some kind. It was my husband's birthday. It was something, 
And so I had a couple of choices. I could call him up and cancel and say, this is just a bad day. Or because I really did want to go, I could call him up and say what was going on and give him the choice. Yes. And that's what I did. I said, this is what's going on. I've been crying all day. I don't know how I'll be. And I really want to see you. And he said, I'm okay with that. And that was the moment when I fell in love because I didn't, it's a lot of work after you've lost someone to try to pretend you're not where you are, hmm. not feeling how you're feeling. So being with someone like who was, was willing a real, to let me rest. A real measure of safety there as well and security and not yep. any undue uh, pressure. Engagement yep. or the fulfillment that comes with the, uh, a good relationship brings your energy. It's a fuel. I like to call it a fuel that helps you sustain yes. yourself through uh, the adverse conditions. Adverse conditions, one of the uh, metaphors I like to use is like, we talk about adverse conditions, kind of like weather or going through a, a stormy time. You know, you got to get yep. through that time, adverse conditions. But in order to get through that, you need something to sustain you or fuel you rather than that can, you know, be a problem. It sounds like Wayne was able to be, help sustain you and not be a burden. And that, that's a good thing. Yeah. It's, if you're trying not to be how you are, it keeps it stuck. Mm -hmm. So if you're really sad, trying not to be sad, it keeps the sad stuck. Whereas if you're just allowed to be however you are, then it can be like clouds going past. Mm -hmm. Well, you got to get it out. You got to get the tears out. You got to get the experience out. You got to get whatever. If you leave it bottled up, it's going to come out some other way, sometimes in an unhealthy way. And sometimes even, uh, you know, for some folks, it's a, you know, a physical manifestation, a health related thing in a number of ways yep. can, can do that. And, and that, so that helps me to understand what type of person came into your life to be helpful. And then you're looking to try to be helpful to other people and give them some guidance yes. and, 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 and direction. And I'm interested now in what some of the things you have learned, what are the, some of the things that you teach and advocate? I'm interested in disciplines, practical, pragmatic stuff here, disciplines, habits, uh, resources, things that you may offer that could be helpful because yep. I know, I know, Allison, well, we all know that death is one of the things that we all deal with. We either, you know, a family member or our own death or whatever it is we have to, to deal yep. with it. And many people just choose to try to avoid it at all costs, but uh, how, what kind of uh, habits, resources, things like that uh, did you go through and that maybe you offer to people as a, as a resource to people, help them to process this. Cause a lot of people are going through this right now. Yeah, we, I, yes. you know, we, we won't dwell on it, but a lot of people have lost their lives during this COVID crisis. A lot of people are sick. Uh, a lot of stuff going on. So give some direction to that person listening to this who just needs some help right now. Yeah, so the, the thing that um, I want to say to your audience who are going through these kinds of things is that after my husband died, I felt broken and people treated me that way. And my my tipping point happened when I decided that wasn't true. When I decided that inside me there was this resilience that if I could just find it, I could get back to resourceful. And that was sort of the start of my journey. And then I began, you know, re-engaging with life, seeing 
what my life looked like, that it was too small for me, and what bigger life I wanted. So increasing my longings and doing things like making lists and taking actions and celebrating the actions I took. And um, so that was kind of re-engage. The second is reinvent, really clarifying what I liked for myself um, and doing more activities and spending time with more people that mattered to me. Because one of the things that someone dying and, and watching someone go from 263 pounds to 146 pounds at six foot three is that it really recalibrates your priorities double time. And so what I saw as important to myself after his death was way different than what I saw as important to myself before. And take that path, take the path of the greatest possibility of joy. But what is that? That's reinvention. That's who are you now? Um, and give, I have. Give us a one. I know you, you you got that process there, but give us an example of that reinvention, or a particular maybe somebody maybe someone that you've coached or have had some relationship with who's seen some transformation. Give us an example of this reinvention piece. Okay, so I was working with a guy who was in his seventies, early seventies, lost his job. Uh, he worked in operations in uh, the banking industries and wanted to get another job. He was in his 70s, right? Ageism was in play. Sure. Um, and then came the pandemic. So what we did was we looked at how could he make his age an asset, make his age a reason to hire him. He began um, connecting with people who, young people who knew cryptocurrency, living in that world. Wow. So he was connected <laughs> to this crypto world that most of his peers were not connected to. He started uh, writing papers on these topics, melding his two uh, masteries. He started teaching. He got a job three weeks ago at 72. In the middle of a pandemic, wow. working for a company, and but it was reinvention. <laughs> yeah, it was cryptocurrency. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, with the reinvention piece. But without, without both pieces, his age, which allowed him mastery in doing the operations part, and his networks and learning in the new technology, made him an asset. He was not thinking that way. He was going after getting a job the old way oh. and he wasn't yeah. going to get it. Right. Well, I think what you're sharing is that once you go through any transformational or when a life changing episode, you know, when tragedy yep. hits, when the adversity hits, you can choose whether to stay stuck, try to retreat or get through it and come out the other side and you come out the other side, you will be changed and you have to come out to a different world. You know, I, I like to yep. use uh, a biblical metaphor sometimes of getting through the wilderness to come to the promised land. And the promised land is, is milk and honey. But in order to get there, you've got to go through, you know, years and 
painful times in the wilderness and you will be changed. You will, will be changed. And so that uh, you get some awesome resources here and your, your, your website, uh, your website is uh, badwidow.com. And, and yes. I, I, first of all, I still love the name. I got, I just got to say, I love, love the name bad widow. You know, you almost expect someone to be in some like making, you know, like horror movies or whatever, but it's really much deeper than that. But tell us what people can find on your website. What are resources that you have to offer? You are really serving a great need right now, Allison. That is really true. Yes. I've seen it in my, you know, I've been in ministry for 40 years. I see so many people get stuck and mm-hmm. we just can't, you know, people can't really afford to do that for themselves or their families or others. But tell us what people can find on your website. What do you offer? What are some ways people can get connected to you in order to help them in their own lives to deal with their own adverse conditions? Yeah. So on my website, there's um, the, there's three resilience strategies, re-engage, reinvent, and then rebuild your networks so that you're well supported. Um, so there's a, a PDF that they can sign up for and grab. Um, if somebody wants to talk to me directly, there's a link to book a call and have a conversation. And there's lots of stuff on there. <laughs> you know, um, I'm, I talk about uh, being a caregiver, I talk about uh, all kinds of experiences, and I've been on podcasts talking about all different topics of coming through this, coming through it back to work, back to love, back to relationships, coming back on my own terms. Uh, so there's there's a lot there for you guys. If you want to talk to me, please do. Well, I welcome it. That's a great, uh, and, a great, a great resource, and uh, we'll commend it. We'll put the links to everything you're talking about here in our show notes at drbradmiller.com. And it's just been a pleasure to have you with us. Again, I'll just share that uh, you know this is a great need. It really is. Uh, people yeah. are in den- people in denial so much about the pain that they're in, and they got to learn to process it to come out to have the opportunity for joy to come. You can't get the joy until you got through this process, and so we appreciate you being with us. Her name is Allison Penna. She is the Bad Widow from badwidow.com, our guest today on Beyond Adversity. Thank you so much to Allison Pena, who is the Bad Widow. She blogs at badwidow.com. You could find out a lot more about her there. Thank her. Thank Alice for being our guest today on Beyond Adversity with Dr. Brad Miller. I hope you heard her story of how she was able to navigate all the grief and the difficult times and the uh, agony and the ecstasy of the loss of her husband. And he emerged and came out in a, in a good place and a place where she was able to find love again. So that's the encouragement I want to give to you, my friends, no matter what you're going through, that you can find a new pathway out of whatever adversity is in your life. And here at Beyond Adversity, we are here to be helpful to you. You can go to drbradmiller.com, find lots of back episodes of our podcast, Beyond Adversity, with lots of insights from lots of great leaders and authors and trainers who can help you to get beyond the adverse conditions in your life and to come to what we like to call the promised life, a place of peace, prosperity, and purpose. We're here to be helpful to you. 
My name is Dr. Brad Miller. I want to be an encouragement to an encourager of you in whatever you're going through in your life. And remember, as we and to join us next time here on Beyond Adversity. In the meantime, I just want to encourage you to be a promise keeper, to keep your promises, because there's power in a promise kept.